Life is a journey. It's a familiar analogy that we can all understand. It's almost universal, which is perhaps why Jesus uses it. Verse 13, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. New Orleans was about two hours away from where I went to college. And we would go down there every once in a while uh, for beignets and concerts, and it was a lot of fun. The route we took was over, um, took us over a 24-mile bridge. And we always had to be careful. You see, there was an exit, and if we missed it, if we missed it, it was about a 50-mile mistake. And it would set us back about an hour. So we always had to pay close attention as we entered and exited this bridge to make sure that we were actually going the right way. As we come to the end of Jesus's famous sermon, he tells us in essence, make sure, make sure you're going the right way. Make sure you are on the right path. Why? Because Jesus believes there are different paths. See, in Jesus' analogy, there are actually two distinct paths. One path is very popular, it's wide, and it's easy, it's spacious, and the other path is narrow, and it's hard, difficult. So a good question is, why would anyone choose the narrow and the hard path? I'll never forget the time when I first visited Berlin. I arrived at night when my plane touched down, and I tried to go out and see the city. Um, as I looked at my popular guidebook, I tried to figure out what would be a good thing to do, and I kept going to these kind of wide, spacious plazas, and there was no one there, and nothing distinct about them. Um, it, it was kind of empty and uninteresting. We could have just have been anywhere, really. But that night, I went back to our hostel and I received an email from a dear friend who told me about a tour that I should take, Brewer's Walking Tour. I'll, I'll never forget that name. And so we got up early the next morning, me and my friends, and we showered and we ate our breakfast at the hostel lobby. There were some other travelers there. They were sitting and they were looking at their guidebooks and they, they asked us what tour we were going on because uh, most people there were going on a tour. And we told them, it's a brewer's walking tour. And they said, well, we haven't heard of that one. It's not in our guidebooks. And, and, uh, and we said, well, yeah, a friend told us about it. Well, pretty soon all the popular guides, they actually started coming into the lobby and picking up groups. Some groups were way too big to go into the lobby, even though they would recruit them. And, and, and you saw when we went outside to start looking for our tour, how there were these massive groups and there were these guides and they held these big signs. And, uh, and they were going from like one hostel to the next, picking people up and kind of sweeping them up along the way. Uh, not so for us. We actually were given these instructions. We were supposed to head down a couple blocks, and after we headed down a couple blocks, past all the tours, then there was kind of this side street. It almost looked like an alley, and we were to take a hard left down the side street, and, and there we were told we would find our guide. And sure enough, there he was. 
no sign, no company logo on his shirt, just a guy standing there who happened to be a former British naval officer who had been in Berlin for 45 years. During that period, as a British naval officer, he actually had access to both the east side and the west side of the city. And he showed us everything. And it was hands down the best tour that I have ever been on. And I have been on a lot of tours. Now, I'm going to be honest, it wasn't the easiest tour. We started at 7.30 a.m. in the morning and we ended at 8 p.m. at night. I was... um, I was tired, my feet hurt, my stomach ached. I mean, at one point we were like, when is there lunch? And the guide said, when we stop. And I was like, it's two o'clock and I'm hungry. Uh, But we kept on going. It was not like one of those tours where you just get on a bus and you you sit there as the tour guide just talks through uh, the sites and says, look at them from a distance. No, we got up and close with, with all the different things. And it was absolutely amazing. Now let me ask you a question. Which tour would you have wanted to be on that day? I mean, sure, we could have gone on one of those big bus tours uh, and just sit there and listen. But then we would not have really known the city. See, that, that which costs nothing is usually worth nothing. And so, yes, it was a less popular tour, and it was a bit more difficult, but it led us into the life of the city. We saw everything from from the places where uh, where the culinary arts were made, and we were told, like, you can go to that place to get a cheap lunch, and it's made by the best chefs in town. You can go here and listen to jazz at night, and it'll cost you $2 to get in, and that's it. I mean, they got none of that on the bus, but we we got into the life of the city. Jesus says there are two paths. There's a popular path that is relatively easy and smooth. And there's a difficult, discreet path. But only one of those paths leads to ultimate and eternal human flourishing. You see, that's what Jesus' sermon is really all about. Human flourishing. And Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is presenting his vision of human flourishing. And that is the path that he is bidding us to take. Only one of these paths leads to your flourishing, and it isn't the popular one, and it isn't the easy one. Now, let's be honest. These words are incredibly jarring to our modern sensibilities. Narrow is the gate. Hard is the way. Few find it. And Jesus says a lot of hard things in this sermon about nonviolence, about sexual ethics, about money. But I think what Jesus says here tops them all. I mean, could anything be more unpalatable to our modern American religious sensibilities? Hard, narrow, few. I mean, we understand this path analogy. It's just that that we modern Westerners, we think that it doesn't really matter what path you're on. I mean, to each his own, we say all paths are equally valid and they will all get you to the same place. It, it doesn't matter if you use Apple Maps or, or if you use Waze. I mean, at the end of the day, it's only a couple minutes difference and they're all going to get you there. 
Elizabeth Gilbert wrote one of the most popular books of the last decade, Eat, Pray, Love. It spent some 178 weeks, 178 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. And it it really encapsulates our, our modern understanding of life as, as a path, as a pilgrimage, as a journey. The book's about how Gilbert decided to follow her own path, which involved her leaving her husband, which she claims is a very good and kind and decent man. But her path meant that she needed to leave him and dissolve her marriage. The interesting thing is that Gilbert considers herself a Christian, And yet she says that she's unable to accept that one fixed rule, insisting that Jesus Christ is the only path to God. She says, quote, You have every right, you have every right to cherry pick in finding peace with God. Take whatever works for you and keep moving, as long as you follow your supreme self and worship at the feet of the God within. Close quote. Gilbert captures the current zeitgeist. I mean, it's why the book is so popular. The idea that your way is the right way, that your truth is the truth, that you know what is good and right and true and others don't, well, that just sounds arrogant and narrow-minded, right? But let's be clear. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. Jesus does not think that he is giving us a valid life philosophy amongst many. One valid option amongst many valid options. No, Jesus is saying that the life that he is describing in his sermon is the only real way to human fulfillment. And so here Jesus challenges one of the most dearly held modern illusions of our time. That all paths are the same. I say illusions because I think we like the idea that all religions and all philosophies and lifestyles are equally valid and paths to human flourishing, but but deep down we know that that is simply not true. And we know that every path is not equally valid. We don't really think that it's just as valid to believe that one race is superior to another as it is to believe in the dignity of every human being. We don't really think that devoting your time and energy to enslaving humans and trafficking them is just as valid as resourcing people with water. And we really can't get away from this whole notion that there there is a right way and there is a wrong way. And the inconvenient truth, the inconvenient truth is that we're actually all narrowing the path in some way. I mean, think about it. To say that all religions and all life philosophies are equally valid is to say that those religions and life philosophies that believe that they are the only right way or a better way, well, it's to say that those are wrong and invalid. To say that it doesn't matter which path you follow as long as you're a good person, well, well, you got to ask, whose vision of goodness and, and, and what about people like me who can't seem to get it together? You have to cut us out. 
See, how is that not narrow and closed-minded? Because you're saying the good are in and the bad are out, or you're saying that the the broad-minded and the inclusive are in and the closed-minded and the narrow are out. But but we're all narrowing at the end of the day in some way. So at the end of the day, there, there really is, we're all saying that there really is a valid and an invalid way to be human. Jesus is just being honest about it. He doesn't have this pie-in-the-sky illusory imagination that, that we can really say that all, all things are the same or that there's really a, a total inclusiveness, unqualified inclusiveness. He doesn't really uh, think that we can, we can have this, this idea that, that all morals and all moral judgments are, are really equally valid. And he's calling us to consider which path we are on. So which path are you on? Which path do you want to be on? Because I want you to notice that Jesus believes that life and death are at stake. See, one appears narrow and hard from the outset and from the outside, but it ends in this spacious, broad, free place called life. And the other path appears broad and wide and spacious, but but in the end it will suffocate and crush you. Think of it like this. Think of two kids learning to play the piano. One has to practice scales. One is taught very disciplined, strict measures on those scales. They're taught how to read music. They're taught actually how to read sounds. They're taught different methods, and they're disciplined about learning those methods. The other is says, there are no rules. You just bang on the keys. Now, let me ask you, in 20 years, who will be more free on the piano? Well, it's the one who followed the narrow way. They're the one who actually is going to enjoy freedom. They're the one who's going to be able to play jazz. So which path are you on? Well, don't answer that too quickly. Don't answer that too quickly. Don't answer that until you make sure that you've identified these paths correctly. Because the second reason we need to make sure that we are on the right path is not just because there are different paths. It's also because these different paths are actually deceptive. Now, what do I mean by that? Uh, Almost everyone initially, when they hear Jesus' words here, they think that Jesus is distinguishing between a moral life and an immoral life. Uh, that there's this broad way of sexual immorality, of lying, of embezzlement, of doing anything to get ahead, of selfishness. And then there's this narrow way of virtue and moral integrity and self-discipline and service. There's the broad way that's followed by bad people, and there is the narrow way that's followed by good people. But if that's the case, then Jesus' words here in the context don't really make a lot of sense. You see, this comparison is set at the beginning of uh, of multiple comparisons that Jesus begins to make. And they're all really making a, a larger point. He goes on to talk about two trees that look the same on the outside, but you have to discern the trees by their fruit. He goes on to talk about two houses that, that look exactly the same on the outside, but you have to discern the houses by their foundation. 
You have to distinguish between the two. And in the same way, Jesus is actually calling us here to distinguish between the paths and asking, make sure which path you're on. You have to distinguish between the two, but but no one has to distinguish between a really immoral, vile life and a really moral, virtuous life. I mean, that's clear. That's easy. That's apparent. What is the comparison that Jesus is making? See, if you look back over this sermon, Jesus never distinguishes between bad people and good people, immoral people from moral people. Now, what does he say? He says, when you pray, don't pray like this, pray like this. When you fast, don't fast like this, fast like this. When you give to the poor, don't give to the poor like this, give to the poor like this. He he is comparing two groups of people and both are praying, both are fasting, both are giving to the poor. In other words, both are good. Both are good. But he says, be careful, you have to distinguish between these two. See, Jesus isn't distinguishing between good lives from bad lives. That would not take any discernment. Jesus is distinguishing between the righteousness of the religious leaders from the righteousness of his kingdom. Throughout the sermon, he is distinguishing between two types of goodness. See, Jesus um, sees the dividing lines differently than we think. Of course, of course, bad people are on the Broadway. That's not what's astonishing, and that's not why at the end of the sermon, the crowds are amazed and astonished. What is astonishing is that Jesus is putting the moral, the religious people, on the Broadway as well. See, the Broadway is roomy enough to fit the religious and the irreligious, the moral and the immoral. What Jesus is distinguishing is the non-Jesus way with the Jesus way. Good people from his people. And that is precisely why Jesus says that you have to find the narrow way in verse 14. It takes searching out, whereas the broad way is something that people, they're just on it. You don't have to think about it. Verse 13. A lot of people, I'm sure some of you listening, You equate the way of the kingdom of God with being a good, moral, upright person. And some of you have rejected the new life of flourishing that Jesus offers because you thought it was just traditional moral values. But you need to know that Jesus is offering another way. Or maybe that you follow some morals. Maybe you follow traditional moral values, or maybe you uh, follow secular pluralistic values on the left. Maybe it's the traditional moral values of the right. Maybe it's the secular pluralistic values of the left. But either way, you consider yourself a good person, and therefore you believe that you're on the narrow path. But Jesus says, watch out. Whether you are equating your goodness with the secular moral values of the left or whether you're equating your goodness with traditional moral values on the right, in either case, watch out. Because it's not just immoral lives that lead to destruction, but the good, moral, and upright lives of people, however they value those, on the right and on the left as well. So let me ask you, which path are you on? Or maybe I can put it another way. Which gate did you enter?
Enter by the narrow gate, Jesus says. Do you know why the bad people and the good people are both traveling on the Broadway? Because they both enter the wide gate. A gate so wide that you can bring with you all your old life. Your old failures. Your old successes. Your old habits. Your old disciplines. Your old vices and your old virtues. I wonder if you ever saw that show, What Not to Wear. Uh, people with a really bad sense of fashion were nominated by friends or coworkers or relatives uh, to have this like complete makeover. And the first thing that always happens at the beginning of each episode is that the host would go through all the stuff in the participants' closets. Uh, they would go through the good, of which there was very few, the bad, and the ugly, of which there was very many. And, and when they would, um, then they would say to the person, uh, we are prepared to give you something like $10,000 for a shopping spree. But here's the catch. You have to throw out your whole closet. Nothing of what you have in your closet now can go with you. The door to your closet is too small to fit this new wardrobe and your old wardrobe. So which is it? Which wardrobe are you going to have? Some of you are still on the broad way. Because rather than receiving the new life, the new wardrobe that Jesus has to offer, his wardrobe, you're trying to bring your old life through the gate. You're saying, but I love that Christmas sweater. I worked hard for that graduation gown. No, you, you don't understand. Those cluff links were given to me by my grandfather. You've missed the gate. See, Jesus is offering us a brand new life, his life. But you have to leave everything behind. Jesus' gate is so narrow that, that you have to leave both your bad deeds and your good deeds behind. Neither your virtues nor your vices can fit through. It's like when I was... When I was moving to Europe and, and there was only so much room in my suitcase and, and I pulled up to the counter and when I wanted to put my suitcase on, it was, it was a few pounds over and I had to start going through and I just started leaving stuff in the airport floor because the only way that I was going through that gate and the only way that that suitcase was going to make it through is if it fit and that meant discarding the good, the bad, the ugly from my life here so I could enter a new life there. That's what Jesus is calling us to. He's calling us to enter. To enter through the narrow gate. And the gate is Jesus himself. That's what he says in John. I am the gate. And that means that the gate is Jesus' size. And he, he is the only thing that you get to bring with you. And that's why it is a path of grace. Yes, it is narrow and hard because it will cost you those things you use to build your identity on. But it is also gracious because you get to receive an identity that, that cannot be earned and cannot be forfeited. You are the beloved one. You see, Jesus himself went through the narrow way and he was squeezed. He was squeezed on the cross. He was crushed for our iniquities. 
so that those iniquities might be left behind and we could go through the gate and come out the other side knowing that we are loved to the utmost. That not for anything that we are or anything that we do or anything that we have, but just because, just because he loves us and he gave himself for us. So let me ask you again, which path are you on? Have you entered that gate? Have you, have you thrown out your old closet, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and received the new life, the life of Jesus Christ, for you and in you? Are you on the Jesus way? I saw so much history on that tour that day. Uh, most of that history was actually uh, around Nazi history. It, I saw Hitler's bunker and I saw Goebbels' office, Himmler's house. I mean, these men were intelligent. They were disciplined. They were traditional, actually. They were actually far to the right. They were also very innovative. Volkswagen. <laughs> Think about the German subs. They were in power. And when they were in power, their lives were easy. They had servants, they had drivers, and they were on the broad road, the road that leads to destruction. My last stop on my tour was actually beside a church. On the side of the church, there was this little door and I noticed a sign on the wall next to the little door, and the sign read Huguenot or Huguenot Museum. The Huguenots were French Calvinists. They were nearly annihilated in France for their beliefs. And those who were not killed fled to places like Switzerland and Germany and England. As Calvinists in the Reformed tradition of the Christian faith, they, they are our spiritual ancestors. And so I rushed inside before the museum closed, and I climbed up the teeny little twisty steps. But there at the top, a spacious room opened up to an exhibit, and there I read about these faithful men and women, and the thought about how hard their life was and their road was, their journey was, as they traveled around Europe, fleeing for their lives. And I thought about them now in the expanse of glory. And I thought about this verse. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. They are part of the few. Will you be? Enter the narrow gate. Leave everything behind and receive the love of Jesus on your behalf. Amen.